When I look at a picture of planet Earth taken from space, I don't see a big blue marble or a giant multicolored beach ball. I see a giant pizza with blue cheese and garlic cream sauce, and all the living creatures are trying to get their slice of the pie. I'm Steve Fisher, and this is Life Slices. The sea should be enjoyed, the animals in it. When you see a shark underwater, you should say, how lucky I am to see this beautiful animal in his environment. That was said by noted American ichthyologist Eugenie Clark. One person who took that to heart was Christina Zanato, diver, speaker, educator, and as she calls herself, a shark listener. She's my guest on Live Slices. So we're here today with Christina Zanato, and I'm going to ask, I hope, a simple question to start, and it's not always a simple question for everybody, surprisingly, but who is Christina Zanato? That is a question I haven't been able to answer myself when people say, what's your title? I don't know, but Christina Zanato is a passionate outdoor person in love with nature, obsessed diver cave explorer, shark lover, and all things nature in a certain way. You live full-time in the Bahamas, That's correct. correct? I live on Grand Bahama Island. I've been here 27 years. Does it ever get old? Whenever we go on vacation anywhere, we tend to think, gee, this would be a great place to live. But then you live, if you live there, it's a totally different experience than when you're visiting. It's a very good question because a lot of people, you know, they they hear Bahamas or Grand Bahama and they're like, oh, you live in paradise. And they don't realize actually the connotation of living on a limited place. But what I decided many years back is to actually make an expedition of my life on a day-to-day basis. So instead of waiting for like the, I can't wait to go somewhere, I can't wait to go here, I actually decided, and thanks to my job, that's a little bit easier to make my day-to-day life an expedition, an exploration, and something of adventure. Yes, of course, there are limited things to do, and the island runs out of places to go. But with the lifestyle I have, it really doesn't affect me. There is actually, I never run out of things to explore, discover, and actually uh, study, and then appreciate. It's my understanding, or I read, that you grew up in Africa. Is that That's correct. I grew up between the uh, savannah of the former Zaire, the Democratic Republic of Congo, and then I lived smack in the middle of the rainforest, the Mayombe forest of the Republic of the Congo, the former Congo. With all the amazing wildlife in your homeland, what drew you to sharks? Well, my... The real homeland is Italy, although I'd never really spent much time there. My family is very much a family of the ocean. And so they always took me to the ocean. I'm a kid that grew up with her pair of fins and masks. I think one of the most exciting part of my life as I was growing up is every year my foot will be a little bit bigger. So there was the time to buy new fins. And so the passion for sharks comes from the passion for the water and a curiosity uh, like all the kids, I'm born in the 70s, early 70s. And it was just like Jaws was like there. But my dad was like, no, no, no. The sharks are animals. And and so there was like a childlike curiosity. And one day I decided that I will have sharks for friends. 
So that's what drew me to the ocean, I would say, is my family and the fact that we come from the ocean. When when you said, I want, I want to make sharks my friends, did people look at you strangely and say, what's wrong with you? These, pe- these are man-eaters. <laughs> well, isn't that what we do sometimes to kids? They share their wildest dreams and we kind of like condescendingly go, yeah, yeah, you'll see, you'll grow up, you'll say it's impossible. And instead of saying, wow, that's a great idea, I think you should pursue it. But yeah, so people didn't think that would be what I would do. I didn't think that would be what I would do. You know, like my dream was to be an underwater scuba ranger that will have sharks for friends. But then I actually went a totally different studies, which is actually was languages and art and communication, which I loved it as much. I also come from a background where women, uh, the exposure to women being scientists was very, very limited. It was like really not an example that you had there. And so it was just kind of like not something in my radar. I never thought that I could be that woman on the bow of the boat, that woman doing the things that I heard other people doing, because I was told that women don't do that. Well, especially swimming with sharks. Not many people do that. That's true. But again, I came again. It was like this thing with with my dad. I remember we would be talking about the ocean animal. And he always said, there are no monsters in the sea, only the the ones you make up in your head. And so he always taught me about behaviors. And he said, you know, they don't do this. They don't do that. They don't like this. They don't like that. And because he was a former diver, a military diver, very much comfortable with the water. Um, For me, it was not that far-fetched. But yes, there's not, nowadays there's more people that go scuba diving and swimming with sharks. But back then when I started in 94, it was still not considered, you know, just mainstream. How old were you when you started diving? I was 22 years old. So it was a huge gap between the dream and when I was able to make it true. I was, uh, I had to gain enough financial stability and independence for me to do the course because as much as my dad brought me to the ocean, his uh, notion of scuba diving specifically was of an extremely dangerous sport because obviously he did in the fifties with pure oxygen rebreathers under military training. And when he did dive in Italy, it was below 140 feet. And so there was all this connotation. He was like, no, no, scuba diving is not a sport for women. Here we go again. And so when I finally had enough of financial stability and the capability of signing my own waivers, I actually took my first scuba course. I was 22. Uh, After I finished my course, I was here in the Bahamas. I, in a week time, I flipped my life. I basically went back home and quit my job, left my boyfriend, packed a duffel bag and came back here. Talking about financial stability, people are going to ask, do the sharks pay you for your friendship? I mean, how do, how do you earn a living diving with sharks? I am by trade a professional scuba diver. Now, after 27 years, I have all these fancy title. So I'm an instructor, trainer, course director, a technical instructor, a rebreather instructor. I take people on the shark and I actually do this very special course where people can come down next to me side by side wearing the same suit I wear and work with sharks the same way I do. It's like the shark handling course. So but my living is done through basically uh, scuba diving tourism and as such then supporting uh, shark tourism in the Bahamas, 
Bahamians involved into shark tourism and as a consequence of shark conservation. What made you believe in the beginning that you could actually forge a relationship with a shark? A gentleman called Ben Rose. He was the first person to start this. He was my mentor and he was the first one, one of the first ones to basically realize that there could be a connection with these animals. And so under his tutelage, he was just like, oh, you're so good with the sharks. But he made me believe that. He made me see that. Uncle Ben, as we used to call him. Unfortunately, he's no longer with us. When you did that first dive to forge a relationship with a shark, what what did you have to do to prepare for that? So I saw sharks on my first dive ever. During my open water checkout dives, we had sharks because this is the area where the sharks were. And when I surfaced, I was just like, you have sharks here? And the instructors and the local people were kind of like, of course we have sharks. I mean, we have sharks. We're in the Bahamas. And so it was kind of funny to see how nonchalant people were about the fact that, they're yes, you go swim with sharks every time we go scuba dive. To forge a relationship, I had to wait a little bit. I had to become a diving professional, so it took about a year. And then I had to learn all the jobs that went with being a diving professional, the basics. And then the privilege was to actually be trained by Ben to actually start working with the sharks. So it took some work and some dedication. And obviously, I didn't jump in for the first time. I'd been diving with sharks quite a long time. And you start off, uh, still now I do that with my crew, is uh, you start off by going on a shark dive, maybe being a safety diver. Or you go on a shark dive and you take the video. And after you've done several months of this, then I'll train you to become a direct person that interacts with the sharks. And what does that entail? How do you develop that trust with the animal? I usually tell my students I have to trust of three things. They have to learn to trust the sharks. They need to wipe their slate clean about the thought that as soon as you move, as soon as you jump in, as soon as you do something, the sharks will be there to bite. They're not, absolutely not. They can tell completely the difference. So trust the sharks. Trust the suit. You're wearing a protective suit. That's your seatbelt when you're driving the car, your helmet when you're riding a bicycle, whatever you want to call it. And the third part I tell them is you have to trust Christina. I'm part of your process. I'm your shortcut. I'll give you the information that you need to understand some of the things. With it is time and patience, like any relationship, right? It's a relationship. So I try to do an example. If you go on speed dating and you spend what is, I don't know, what is one minute with somebody and then the bell rings or something. I cannot even imagine doing something like that. But you can't come out of that and say, well, I I met Steve and we are in a relationship. So it's the same thing with sharks. You can't do one dive and say, well, I really understand and no sharks now. So it's time, it's patience. And one of the things that I try to tell people that a lot of people call me the shark whisperer. And I tell them, I'm not a shark whisperer. It's a title that I really don't like. I don't go down there and perform magic. I don't whisper the sharks anything. I don't tell them to do anything. I call myself a shark listener. You need to go down there and understand them, right? I did languages and communication. And for me, it, it, it was just so obvious with the sharks is they do communicate. It's just a language we don't know. We don't understand. And sometimes we really refuse to put a little bit of time and effort really appreciate, but they do communicate with their body movements, with their speed, with their intensity. 
And so what I do, I listen to them and then adapt my behavior to them. Can you recognize a difference between the sharks? Do you, when you see a shark, do you know if you've met them Absolutely. before? I recognize each and every one of the sharks in my group. I have named them. We have like recognizing also pictures and features. We don't tag them. We just have like physical. I can actually recognize some of my old girls from the way they swim. So I don't even have to see the physical characteristics just from the way they swim into the into the water from a distance i can say oh grandma is coming or stump is coming definitely recognize them from physical we recognize them from behavior we recognize them from attitude uh, they do have different personalities and then the outer skirts of this group there's always new sharks and obviously we recognize them because they are not the ones that we see every time and have named what was it like, if you can recall, What would, describe that feeling the first time you got a shark to come up close to you and, and let you pet it? Back then and now, each time it's uh, one of the most precious moments. Is one of those uh, privileges that we have in life that, like you said, you know, does the Ida never get old and isn't old? And I'm like, no. I had people ask me, so did you ever get old to go down there with the same sharks? And, and my answer is, does he ever get old to open the door and see your puppy at the door wagging his tail? Right. And, and so it's the same thing. Does he ever get old to spend time with someone you love and you appreciate and you want to learn more about? That is the feeling. The feeling is privilege. The feeling is uh, amazement and absolute appreciation for what is happening. I, mean, I used to joke with a dear friend of mine and say, I hope one day, you know, we're going to be, you know, with a walker sitting somewhere on a bench going, remember when we used to feed sharks? And hopefully people will not go, sharks, what is that? You know, hopefully back in the future, we're still going to have sharks because they're not doing too well, thanks to humans. But it was our joke is like, you're like some people will look at these old, old ladies and they're like, you work with sharks? No way. <laughs> but think about it, you know, how amazing it is. As you referenced earlier, Jaws, and that's what most people think of when they think of sharks. And that's very unfortunate because if actually they just Googled, I mean, you don't even have to have a very fancy book. Google how many species of sharks there are in the world. There's over 500 species of sharks. The smallest shark in the world is the size of a pen. It fits in the palm of your hand. And so when, when you say shark and everybody say, oh, sharks do this and sharks do that. And I'm like, no, saying sharks is like saying birds. So what if I said that all birds are black, all birds can fly and all birds nest on a tree? You absolutely, you don't need to be an ornithologist to know that what I said is absolutely incorrect. The birds that don't fly, the birds that don't nest in the tree. It's the same with sharks. Don't get me started on birds after seeing uh, Alfred Hitchcock's film. I'm not too thrilled with them either. <laughs> you see, we're so very good, very good point. But here's the thing, right? So Alfred Hitchcock's movie with the birds, everybody goes, oh yeah, that's fiction. That will never happen. But they see Jaws and they go, oh, that must be a reality. I'm like, no, no. Steven Spielberg, right, nor Peter Benchley said, Peter Benchley was the one that wrote the book. They never said, hey, this is uh, your new biology book about sharks. They said, this is a novel. I have a copy of Jaws. It says, a novel by Peter Benchley. And then the movie, the, the Jaws, is a movie. Like you said, that was, I'm going to use that. Can I steal that? The Alfred Hitchcock with the birds? 
Nobody's afraid of birds for seeing them in the movie like that. But for whatever reason, they do that thing with the sharks. And both of them are movies. I, I am. And I, and I haven't been in the ocean since seeing Jaws. So how long does it take to get a shark comfortable with you? How many times do you have to go down there and swim and, and approach them before they get comfortable enough with you? A very good question. It's a shark dependent, right? It's the same with any other creature. There's a creature that is a little bit more, let's say, more bold or bolder. And there's a creature that is a little bit shyer. And so it's the same with sharks. Some learn really fast. Some learn a little bit slow. I would say on if it's a fast learning for the adult female, it might take maybe six to ten hours. So you're looking about maybe 10, 10 dives, 10 to 15 dives total, depending on how long, to kind of like get them into that circle and say, okay, this is good. And then I would say an additional, double that, just to make that more connection. It is a some time, but again, it depends on the sharks. I actually have two girls on the shark dive. They're really, really cool. Her, their names are, the first one I named was Vulcan, and I named her after the air... Uh, the air jet, it's a fighter a plane from the uh, UK, a royal, a royal Force. And she had this a very, very stretchy fin tip on her pectoral fin, so I call her Vulcan after the plane. But everybody thought I called her Vulcan after, you know, live long and prosper. So I called, yeah, Mr. Spock. So I called the other girl Trek. So I have Vulcan and Trek, right? And they came in together, same size, and obviously they went through the same behavior, like very guarded, I'm not sure, now they've been here about five years. Vulcan is still very shy, so she'll come in, but like there's a very little that she likes of physical contact, she'll come in a little bit for some fish, but that's it. Where track is a super comfortable, she'll always in, she even follows you on the dives, on regular dives, and she's absolutely not afraid of anything. And yet they came in here at the same time, they were the same size, and they really developed two different behaviors, regardless of the fact that, you know, we, I was the same person doing the same thing. So they actually recognize you. I mean, you can be down there with other divers and they know which yes. one you are. Um, I mean, there is a component in which I will still attract them to others if the others are carrying the fish, but there's a, there's part times. Sometimes I move away and the sharks will follow me and, you know, like it's uh, people chuckle because uh, they'll leave whoever's trying to work with them and they'll just follow me. They'll follow me on the dive. Um, they have seven senses, right? And some of the things we forget on the water, for example, they have a very keen sense of smell. So what tells, what doesn't tell us that maybe they can actually recognize my scent from somebody else's scent? My pups can. Why not a shark? Have you befriended a shark through a shark pregnancy? I mean, do you have you? They introduced you to their children. Uh, no, sharks have no parental care. So when they give birth, first of all, they don't give birth in the area where I've dived with them. They go away. They're actually in very protected hidden zones. And then the pops don't come into the ocean till they're about two and a half to three feet long. So there's quite a lot of gap. It's a few years for them to grow to that size before they come into the open ocean. That is obviously to avoid the predatory behaviors from other sharks, or predatory behavior from other from other fish. You know, when a pup is born and he's like 12, 10 to 12 inches long, 
It could easily be food for a bigger grouper or, I mean, we've seen even uh, birds hunting sharks and basically pull them out of the water. So they stay into the mangroves and then they come into the open ocean when they're big enough to fend off for themselves. But the mothers do not have parental care. So baby sharks are born a miniature of adult sharks. They're not like cute, like puppies or babies. They don't have like the soft features. There's a perfect miniature of an adult and they fend off from the cell from the moment they come out. Uh, There are a lot of people uh, who are stuck at home with kids during the pandemic who would probably wish their kids were like that. (laughs) That if I could actually have kids like a shark, I would actually have kids. But yeah, no. What types of sharks have you, or species of sharks, have you befriended? Is there a particular kind that is more approachable than others? Yes. I primarily work with Caribbean reef sharks. And then there's a little little group of resident uh, nurse sharks that interact and interwine with the Caribbean reef sharks. And those are the sharks that I've done primarily all the interaction. They sit in my lap, patting. I've done a little bit of that with blue sharks. However, I'm also a firm believer that one size does not fit all. So due also to maybe uh, sharks' behaviors, so let's say even predatory behaviors, and even size, I always try to tell people, it's like, listen, you can go out there and behave with the Caribbean reef sharks the same way you behave with a tiger shark or the same way we'd behave with a bull shark or even a guitar shark. Each one needs for us to adapt. So primarily, I do this kind of interactions with Caribbean. However, I have worked with about 12 different species of sharks. And when I say work, that means still interaction, but not the welcoming into my lap, not the uh, close body contact that I display with the Caribbean. I'm just guessing that you would not try your approach with a great white. Absolutely not. Uh, I think is uh, it wouldn't work, first of all, just because of the type of sharks they are. They can sit still, right? They have, they have no buccal pumping. They only have ram ventilation. Their size, primarily, of the way they live, so they don't tend to sit on the ocean floor. So, no, I haven't done that kind of interaction, and I would not want to do that kind of interaction. Again, one size does not fit all. I think it's been a little bit of a trend in the last few years. People will come up and say, well, you're just doing it with Caribbean reef sharks. Those are docile. I said, First of all, sharks are not docile or aggressive. Sharks are sharks and they do what sharks are supposed to do. Second of all, I, I think once you start bringing up those kind of, let's say, quote unquote, challenges, uh, it, it moves the attention from the sharks to the person. So why are you doing this? Are you doing this to prove something of your, you know, the size of the animals? It's like a daredevil. And I don't want to do any of that. For me, it is a true relationship. So what if I have a relationship with a Caribbean reef shark? What does it take away that is not a great white? And, and that is the point that I'm trying to make with people. I think the, the special of, the, the, of what is happening, it does not matter on the species or size. And I would encourage people not to go out there and just try to do it on size, just to say, oh, I've done it with a bigger shark. Because then it really takes away from the shark and what the message that I'm trying to send out there. What is that message? What do you want people to take away from your work with sharks? How do you want them to behave around sharks? I mean, that's and that's another question. If somebody is in the water and they see a shark approaching, what's the best way to behave 
to avoid being attacked All right, by a shark. so we're going back to there are over 500 species of sharks. So you're in the water and there's a shark approaching. And let's say the average person cannot recognize what species they are. But in general, what I recommend people is if you go somewhere, there's a three things you take pay attention to. You know, where are you? What kind of sharks live in the area? You can ask. Local people will tell you, here are the 20 species that live in the Bahamas. And what are you doing? So there's a huge difference. Are you on the surface? Are you on a surfboard? Are you on a paddleboard? Are you spear fishing, for example? Are you scuba diving? Are you collecting food that might attract some of the sharks? So you have to have put all those parameters. So there's not one question, one answer for all of that. But let's say for the sake of it, you're in the water and you notice a shadow or a shark approaching. Uh, what you don't want to do is basically lose. And if you see the animal, chances are the animal is just cruising through and the animal already knows you're there. So keep an eye on the animal, stay calm, don't panic. The last thing you want to do is to start splashing, moving away, running, and in a certain way, maybe attract their attention where maybe there was no attention. The other one I usually tell people, if you see a shark approaching, you have a grab a camera, take a picture. But yes, in general, is understanding where you are, what you're doing, and what sharks are in the water. And obviously, the behaviors are different. So obviously, if you talk to certified divers, they'll tell you chances are they'll see a shark, they'll look at it and take a pictures or follow it for a little bit. If you're spear fishing, I'll tell you the spear fishermen are very familiar with sharks and they very understand that there's no discussion to whom the fish belongs to once it's on the spear. And there's no, there's nothing to discuss, right? The fish belongs to the shark. And once you give it the fish, the shark is going to swim away. If you're on the surface and so you can only see a shadow, then yes, calmly, if it makes you uncomfortable and you can't recognize what it is, then calmly move out of out of the area. Watch the animal, right? And if you see a shadow just cruising by, it's just cruising by. If it makes you uncomfortable, just slowly swim back to shore. Remember, uh, you have the option to stay dry. They don't. I don't want to encourage people to stay dry, but you know, sometimes there might be that one time where you just come out of the water if that makes you feel uncomfortable. So I once heard uh, as, a, as a kid, my dad had a friend who was a, a Marine, an ex-Marine, and he talked about being approached by a shark because he did a lot of uh, scuba diving. He punched it in the nose and the shark swam away. So that's what I was taught was if a shark comes up, punch it in the nose, which never seemed like a good idea to me. Well, actually, in a certain way, yes, it is a good idea because... Uh, uh, and again, we're talking about which kind of sharks, but they say sharks that is coming directly at you might be of the predatory kind that eats maybe animals our size. Obviously, a nurse shark that feeds Kong and is coming towards you, please don't punch it in the nose, poor thing. It's just, <laughs> it's just cruising on its merry way. But if you, let's say you feel threatened and it comes so that you can punch it in the nose, the shark will be startled by the behavior. It's like, oh, something touched me. I can't believe something touched me. And chances are, yes, it will swim away. But what I found funny about that is how close does you have to shark to be in order for you to punch it in the nose? And that's arm length away. By the time it's arm length away, the capability of the person to maintain its cool and calm instead of flapping backwards and doing things backwards, I think is one of those maybe old, old, old wives tales, you know, myths. It's kind of like, yeah, punch it in the nose. I'm kind of like, you know how close it has to be to punch it in the nose? It's length and the length of your arm. 
I don't want to get that close. However, if a nice friendly shark comes up, I'll be happy to pet it. Again, I don't want to encourage people to go up and pet animals because these are wild animals. So don't go around trying to reach and pet any of the sharks swimming by. Just have a healthy observation. And I actually would like to invite you to come here so you can have a shark arm length away and not feel that they're actually coming for you because that's what the sharks do. They come arm length away and they have no interest whatsoever. And I think that is what I want people to come out from is realize that sharks are sharing their ocean with us. They're very tolerant of our presence. We can actually do things in the ocean that we can never do in the Canadian forest. We can never do in the savannah. I could never do when I grew up in the Congo. We had strict rules our kids. We go in the ocean and roam around with these animals. They're absolutely magnificent. Can turn on the dime as fast as, you know, compared to them, we're basically a grain of sand. And yet they're kind of like, yeah, sure, come on in. I tolerate your presence. Because here's, we need to look into, you know, like, I I understand a shark attack is possible. And I understand sharks have bitten people. But let's look at numbers. In the United States alone, there's about 75 million people a year that go in the water. In the last 40 years, the United States have recorded an average of 26 attacks to people. Do you want to do some math? That, that, yeah, I'm not good at math, but uh, that sounds pretty good odds to me. It's insane. And yet we still have these things about, oh, if you go in the water and it's like, I'm, I'm inviting you because you keep saying, oh, I don't want to be in the water. Please come because those are the odds. Do you know what are the odds of dying in a car accident? One by 364. Being eaten by a shark in the United States, a one in 11.5 million. And yet we drive the car every day. We drive by car accidents every day. We kind of like slow down a little bit if you're a little bit those creepy people that have to see it. Or some people, they are annoyed by slowing down. And as soon as they pass that accident where they just saw a mongrel carp because most likely it was speed and it was going too close to someone else, what do they do? Foot on the accelerator and off they go like they had not seen it yet. For whatever reason, we have this block about sharks. So in my opinion, it has nothing to do with the sharks themselves. It has to do with our arrogance. So the next time I need a new car, I think I'm going to get a shark instead. I would say so. Much safer. (laughs) And I'm guessing they probably wouldn't do well in captivity. If you have a big pool in your backyard. No, no. My my pool is, yes, I have a huge pool in my backyard. It's called the Atlantic Ocean. Uh, Some sharks are actually good for habitats. I actually have an appreciation for some aquariums. And I, again, one size does not fit all. I don't think all the animals should be in an aquarium. But I've seen firsthand in some countries, for example, like China and Singapore, where I was invited to talk about shark conservation, how an aquarium can educate people. So let's say you put a little horn shark, which is a sedentary shark that lives in like little caves. And people have the opportunity to observe these little sharks swimming in the habitat and understand that there's different species of sharks and gain and kind of like a new view on them. One of my one of my ocean heroes, uh, Dr. Eugenie Clark, she passed away about four years ago. I asked her, I said, I said, Jeannie, I said, what was she was a shark scientist. She was the one that studied sharks the most shark lady the best shark lady. And I asked her, I said, Gina said, what got you into sharks? So this lady died four years ago. She was about 94. So we're talking about about 100 years ago, right? And she said, when I was a kid, my dad took me to the aquarium. 
and they were the uh, sand tigers, you know, the one that have all the teeth and they float there, they don't really move. And I was so fascinated by these animals. She said, I put my hands around my face and I put the nose on the glass. She said, and I imagine I was down there on the water with them. So aquariums have a power to inspire and educate. I think when people have, have the capability of seeing some of the sharks to really understand like most of their differences and maybe appreciate it a little bit more. So I have actually an appreciation for some sharks, as we want to call it, in captivity. But again, one size does not fit all. I think some of these animals should not be in habitats, should be out in the ocean. So what's one final thought? that you have that you want to leave people with? Sharks are vulnerable. And they're vulnerable. They've been become vulnerable from our presence into this world, and especially since the Industrial Revolution. And as we consider ourselves the most evolved and maybe intelligent creature on this planet, it is our duty, but it's also our benefit to start understanding sharks and taking care of them. Well, Christina, thank you so much. I really appreciate your time. This has been fascinating. I, I will, uh, I, I'll call you when I'm coming down to the Bahamas. If you enjoyed this program, please subscribe and like us on social media and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Life Slices is produced by Beat Dick Ravens Productions, all rights reserved. Music courtesy of Fesleyan Studios. 